I'm living my best life and I'm having a great time. Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top, the body-positive, sex-positive show with your host Jenny Lynn and Auntie Vice. This show contains explicit language, not suitable for most minors or easily offended majors. It contains opinionated discussion about politics, race, sex, fat folks, gender, which may not be suitable for conservatives. Additionally, some shows may contain references to science, statistics, history, research, mathematics, and reality, which may not be suitable for American evangelicals. Hi, and welcome back to Fat Chicks on Top. Thanks for staying with us. We're here today with Mariana Achel Focoso. She's from the Decolonization Project. Welcome and welcome to the show. Thank you. Gracias. It's good to have you on. You are also our, our first guest with our new co-host, Wendy Lewis. Hi, how are you? Welcome. Hi, nice to meet you. Hi. So I reached out to have you on the show. Um, you know our sound man, and uh, he let me know about your project a little bit. And I started looking into it. So you do... The Decolonization Project, and people can find you guys on Facebook, but you want to tell our audience a little bit about it? Yeah, so basically the the Decolonization Project is an ind- indigenous-led arts and culture program. Essentially, the main part of the program is that we want to, we have a little slogan. We say, unlearning, relearning, and creating. So the unlearning is basically the unlearning of colonial behaviors thought processes and just culture and the relearning is the relearning of our indigenous cultures and um, specifically as a a person from the western hemisphere the global south my relearning is the relearning of Mayan and other indigenous cultures of what we call now Central America and South America but um, everyone is indigenous from somewhere so it's about the unlearning of the colonial behaviors that have shaped our society today and relearning our indigenous cultures. And then from there, taking on and creating with what our newfound knowledge and as a community. Excellent. Now, if you're an academic nerd like me, that all makes sense, <laughs> but it, it can get a little jargony. So when we talk about colonial behaviors and, and things we've learned from colonialism, most folks aren't even aware of what that means. Um, what type of stuff do you, I mean, is it just doing, when you talk about, you know, creating and recreating and stuff, is it learning to appreciate things like indigenous art or does it go beyond that? It really goes beyond that. So, right, we're located in a city that's currently called Sacramento. And part of that process would be to recognize that the land that we're currently on is Miwok in Nisanan territory. And so once you start acknowledging these facts of this is Miwok territory, then you recreate your relationship to the land. And so um, you understand more the patterns of indigenous culture because indigenous in of itself just means to be of the land. And so when you get to know the land and its history and its rhythms and its music, then you really start to get in touch with how all humans are connected. And so what the colonial system has done is the opposite. It has separated us from from being harmonious with the universe, the world around us, and with our fellow other living beings, which includes trees, plants, humans, and animals. So when we um, become basically 
um, disconnected from it through the colonial process. And you can, from the European uh, narrative, it would be basically Descartes' idea of the the animals being like machines, and I think, therefore, I am, which individ- individualizes us rather than sees us as an entire collective. So one of the things that's fascinated me that a number of people, especially scholars, have done around um, decolonializing how we think about stuff is how we think about the body, right? And as we talk about moving from the individual to the group, reconnecting with the earth, what does that mean in terms of how you see yourself, how you see beauty in other people? Um, how does that change those ideas or how has it for you? I mean, obviously it's not universal and won't, everybody won't have it, but how, do, how has that changed it for you? For me personally, it's been, a, I mean, it's still something that I work on. Um, one thing that I talk about in terms of decolonization is that it's a process. And so it's a process of, um, since it, it is a process of unlearning, that I'm not an expert in decolonization. And so even I'm still going through my own journey of unlearning behaviors and thought patterns that are related to um, at least how white supremacy and colonialism within the United States context has shaped beauty and how that has spread globally. Um, and so part of that to me is um, really removing the binary off of gender. So that one's, that's a major point, you know, no longer seeing the world as, as male or female or things, um, things, people, different. And I say things because my first language is Spanish and Spanish separates the binary. So in the language. The other thing is really understanding that there is a full range of different expressions of beauty. Like we can think about, I mean, as, as like everyday place, it may seem like flowers, right? They're all sort of within that same category. There's a huge array and different colored flowers and different shapes. And you wouldn't say, well, this flower is uglier than that one. I mean, I guess you could, but it really has, it's, it's just a perf- personal preference. It's not um, innately an ugly flower or innately a beautiful flower. It's, it's a, a subjection that we've placed upon it. What are some of the things that we can do to help bring awareness and to help um, navigate ourselves in this culture so that we can, too, be more sensitive to the needs of other people and to uh, bring awareness to our friends and family in a sensitive way so that they don't feel that we're trying to bombard them with knowledge that they're not accepting of, but maybe just opening their mind to something that I feel is really important and vital. So I think the first thing is really looking internally. We talked about roots, and I think that's a really great place to start. Once we dig our roots really deep, and part of that is doing ancestral healing, um, getting in touch with our ancestral knowledge, start seeing the world differently. Because our whole, everything that we see is has been shaped by the colonial system. And so how we do that is looking back. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we adopt those all the behaviors. We adopt those that fit us. And as we start to um, take on the practices, the language of our ancestors, we understand that um, how we see how powerful language is at shaping our world. And so 
Personally, I'm not one to go around trying to convince people what they should be or should not be and how we should like liberate ourselves from colonial mindsets. But rather, I practice on myself and I talk with people that are already on this journey because I think how we can carry this journey outward is by healing ourselves. And I explain why or, you know, I'll, I have a conversation often with my brother about gender. In fact, this morning he texted me. He's like, do you think MMA fighter can be trans? And so we started. There is one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure that's probably where it came from. It's funny that you said that because with Auntie Vice and I, with us being comedians too, last night's a good example. We sometimes have people that will say, oh, hey, there's lady comedians. And it's like, can't you just call me a comedian? Why does my gender have to define my humor? And what I've tried to explain to people in a very delicate way is that when you label what I am before I'm even out there, you've already set the mindset. You've already put me at a disadvantage. Even though you think you're helping me, you're kind of not. So um, I feel that, like you said, when you can just drop those labels and just say here comes the next comedian that person can now have a level playing field and um now they can just be themselves and they're not having to i don't know fight against the the standard yeah yeah and i think part of it is we put ourselves in boxes and then other people put us in boxes and really understanding who puts us in boxes and what boxes those are and then what boxes do we put ourselves in and then once we're able to see you know basically the playing field like what am I working with then you can begin to dismantle the different things that basically shape your world so you know if it was me like being called a you know a lady comedian for example I but probably the first thing I would do when I get to the mic is be like I'm not a lady, you know? <laughs> I love you. That was amazing. That's so good. That's really good. And it's it just kind of lets you know right away, hey, <laughs> that's amazing. So that's good. I'll have to use that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to snatch that for you. Thank you. Yeah, because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like you can, because last night, one of the things was all the, we were in a bar and it, there was a sporting event on, mm-hmm. shocking. And every all the males that were in there were invested in the game. And then the host went and shut all the TVs off. And then he uh, and you could hear the whole audience was booing. And I'm like, oh, great. So you just shut the game off. Now you're going to have a bunch of females go up there and talk. <laughs> I mean, this is going great. So, uh, so yeah, that would have been an awesome little comeback. And be like, I'm no lady, mister. No. <laughs> right. Right. So thank you. That's great. So you were born into, you know, a system that has been as colonized as the rest of us. How did you get to the point where you're like, no, I need to explore this. what, what, brought you to the point of recognition that this system isn't working for me and I need to look at something else. Well, I was born this way. <laughs> so oh, curious. So much. <laughs> um, that was great. You know, basically as um, a person who has experienced the world with brown skin, as being labeled a woman, as having big curly hair, I think there are things that 
people, I think in a world where white supremacy is basically top, um, I stick out and I stick out in positive ways and I stick out in negative ways. And so the decolonization project is just one, one little hairline of an experience of what a culminating experience that has built in my lifetime. And so I think, yeah, that's why I said I was born this way. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, yeah, and I think you've got to be at least 10 years younger than me, if not more. I'm in my mid-40s. Oh my <laughs> I think I'm 36. Yeah, so yeah. you had a little different experience coming up where there's a little more awareness in your teens and stuff around race than I think somebody of my generation. I mean, there's always been this underlying discussion, and I think kids are in high school today have a very different feel of the world in terms of that. But I also lose track because I live in this bubble where I have people who talk about this stuff all the time. And I'm not sure how wide reaching it is in the U.S. at this point for people to talk about. Um, do you have a better sense of is this conversation growing or is it still in pockets? I think it's in pockets. Mm -hmm. um, I think right now with the presidency, and I don't say that person's name. No, no. <laughs> we don't either. <laughs> he who shall not be named. Exactly. <laughs> um, I think it's definitely ignited a conversation and it's really touched on, you know, there's these gaping wounds that in our society that are easily ignored. But what's happened with this person is that these gaping wounds came out to the surface. And then not only that, we're sticking our hands in these huge, I mean, they're repeatedly. open wounds. Yeah, yeah, repeatedly. And we're having to confront it, I think, collectively in a way that we've never had to acknowledge before. We've had points in our history, you know, like the beating of Rodney King um, and several other things along the way. But we never had to confront it in the way that we we are now because we consistently have it in our face. You know, just the ridiculousness of sexism, xenophobia, anti-immigration with uh, with the assistance of um, social media. Now we become aware of things in the moment as like what happened in Standing Rock. It became an entire movement really thanks to social media. Yeah, and that's the first, like, I've been involved with, with different Indigenous people's rights movements since high school, but that Standing Rock was the first time I actually saw it spread outside of this little activist community, and people go, no, this, this matters, this is actually important, and this is not okay. Which was, you know, as somebody who's been watching the activist world for years, was kind of exciting. Then again... It's also, you know, you still have people being arrested um, who are fighting to protect water and stuff. And it's, you know, the, the issues are still going on. It didn't fully resolve. Yeah, I mean, nothing is resolved. No, no. <laughs> nothing no. is resolved. Um, I think the only thing that's changed really is that maybe the conversation has spread out a little more and it's less in pockets. It's less underground. You know, you have people talking about Antifa um, you know, um, anti, not just anti-fascist, but, you know, anarchist, black bloc. We're having a lot of these conversations, things that, you know, maybe 10 years ago, people are like, what's a black bloc? Right. right. 
So your project is one way people can find out a little bit more. Um, we're coming to the end of the interview. So if people want to find you, if they want to find your project, if they want to support you, what's the best way they can do that? So I also want to acknowledge that there are other people involved in the project. Okay. So definitely. Give them a uh, shout out. We'll make sure they're on. So Fiorella and Lorraine, they've both been instrumental parts of of the decolonization project. And um, basically people can find us on Facebook. We're on Facebook as the decolonization project. We're also on Instagram, also by the same name. And you can get a hold of us there. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming out. You're fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. you. And look forward to working with you more. Yeah, thanks. Hi. You need music, a sound guy, or a podcast done? Well, why don't you call a serious production? Hi, my name is Sharon, founder of Sirius Production, a mobile DJ company and audio production for podcasts and music. Our DJ service handles birthdays, graduations, weekend weddings, weekday weddings, speaking events, etc. Our ASP staff has 15 years in DJ, audio, music, and podcasts. Our ASP staff will help you to create a combination of services which meet your unique needs. We can provide custom price bids for your jobs. We offer discounts for multiple services, repeated customers, and special sales. Please ask the staff about repeated business and discounts. Our podcast special we have now is recording, editing, mixing, and uploading up to 100 minutes of recording for $500. For more information, please call 707-867-1411. That's 707-867-1411. Or come to our website, aseriousproduction.com. That's aseriousproduction.com. Can't wait to hear from you. Thank you. I was born ABC. I'm not an American-born Chinese, but I consider myself an American Burmese and Chinese. And there's no particular order of what I hold most dear because I'm an archaeologist and a pioneer raveled into one. I have grown up with ketchup aftertaste that has stained my taste buds red, white, and blue. I've seen a culture unveil itself in a decade of television. I could tell you the number of amendments scribed into legends trying to explain my rights as an American. But the other day, my heart broke. Walking to the bus, I heard someone yell out, Hey, China doll, along with some sexual obscenity. Then five blocks later, I heard, Go back to Japan. And I just didn't understand. How can you fetishize me, then go and turn around and hate me? But these are the types of things I have to face in order to stand here today. My education has been colonized. 
The West had won, you see, and that's the only reason we know of their heroic stories. Don't bother hearing the accounts of shackled slaves or indentured servants or fooling Chinese people to believe that there is gold every work you walk, they were told, only to find themselves working subhuman on the transcontinental railroad. They were connecting a foreign coast at the cost of their lives. If there were such great things to see in America, then why did businessmen have to leave and come overseas to the east? And my tongue has been enslaved in English. A century of occupation had done this. Not only of our land, but they tried to take our standards. They tried to rip the language out of my mother's tongue so she wouldn't be made fun of. But our folk stories, they will never cease to exist. And the only myths I've heard from you, America, is that skinny queens on magazines are the only equivalents to beauty. I used to hate my body because it was too wide. I couldn't fit into size zero pants. I didn't have a cute pointy nose, but I do have eyes like the ocean. And I'm not talking about blue like it's water. I'm talking about vast like it's history so deep you can drown in all of the wisdom that they have seen. And I might be painted Chinese, but the lines and wrinkles are folded Burmese. Golden pagodas are engraved on the side of my brain. My skin is marked by rubies and jade. Burma is a land between India and Thailand. It is where you'll see malnourished people sharing what little they have with Buddhist monks asking for alms. You'll see peaceful Buddhist monks holding each other palm to palm, asking their government to free them. And a government's attempt will turn will turn violent to suppress all dissent, but you can't stop people from fighting for their homeland, for their passion. And I am all of this for you, red, white, and blue, only for you to try to render me useless. But maybe I should stop wearing my heart on my sleeve for you because it gets more broken each time. And every visit to the repair shop, I get the same answer. I'm just not American enough for you. I'm constantly walking between trap doors not Asian or American, but I accept that I'm both at the same time. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to Fat Chicks on Top. Thanks for staying with us. We're here this afternoon with Stacy G. She is a slam poet extraordinaire. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, I'm so glad you wanted to come on. As you saw at the beginning of this this section, she did this poem about being an American-born Chinese. I've seen her perform at a number of slam competitions, and it's phenomenal. And you write a lot about learning to accept your body. Is this a new line of poetry for you? Because I've only watched you in slam for the last couple of years. Or has this been something that you've talked about for a long time in your work? It's definitely been something that's developed over time. And it's... I would first start off with poetry writing like love poems about being brokenhearted and unrequited love. And after a while, it uh, morphed and transformed into things that I really cared about that also ignited like this really strong emotional response from me. And I just needed an outlet to talk about being an Asian American woman in, in society and in America and what that means. And I hadn't seen my story represented. And so I remember reading this quote that it's like a woman who writes has power and I just that really resonated with me and I was like okay I need to write my own story I need to have my poems I wanted my poems to kind of dig in dig deeper into issues that I care about so in not seeing yourself represented and stuff what type of images and what type of messages were you given about your own body growing up oh wow um so growing up in a Asian household um specifically I was raised by my Chinese grandmother who uh, didn't really value it wasn't 
I guess it was a cultural norm not to value women or females, girl, children as much as boys. And so I saw my parents and uh, aunts and uncles kind of dote on more like the boy children. And then I was kind of like, okay, I want to like be part of that and like get that attention. And so I would kind of be a little bit tomboyish uh, growing up. And they were like, you can't do that. You're a girl. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, (laughs) How do I, (laughs) how do I interpret that? Um, And I I think like growing up, it, it was always like, oh, you're, you're a girl. And so it means that you don't get as much attention. You don't get as many things. Um, And it was kind of interesting because I was growing up with brothers. And so I was like wearing their hand-me-downs. And so I was uh, like dressed as a boy and I had a boy haircut. And so embracing like the girlness in me took a a long time and just not really fitting in with like my classmates or uh, people at my school who had like the long hair with the braids and like the dresses and all the pretty things and (laughs) all the girlish things, I guess. So for you now, is there value in being a girl and having the frilly stuff um, or what does that look like now for you? Oh, oh, yeah. It's definitely changed over time because it was as I was kind of growing into myself, as I'm growing into myself continuously, it's a process. <laughs> I I see like, oh, I like putting on jewelry or, or being a little bit more girlish. Um, it does like embracing that part of myself. And being like, it's a, like, I like wearing high heels. It's okay. <laughs> but I also like wearing tennis shoes. That's also okay. Or like no shoes at all. That's okay too. And like, let me dig my feet into the dirt. Like it's, and so these are the types of things that, oh, boys get dirty and girls don't get dirty type of mentality. And so I kind of like embraced all that whole spectrum. Just like, you think it, it's definitive to like be more girly, to like to be more femme or, or have have like these these shiny things or like wear dresses and whatnot but I think um it's a I've accepted that part of my like I enjoy doing that as well as like <laughs> uh as as well as just being able just being able to like accept that tomboy side of myself as well do you feel be- beautiful now absolutely <laughs> is that an all the time thing or oh no not an all the time thing it's a it's it's a process <laughs> that sometimes goes back and forth and <laughs> a conversation that I have with myself constantly and I think uh the comparative the compare comparing myself with others is um a constant battle that I have with myself like oh I'm not growing up like I saw like Elle magazine and Vogue and I was like they're so beautiful and they're so pretty but they're also all white there wasn't very much diversity in there and so I didn't think that like seeing Asian models was like a was seen as like acceptable form of beauty until more recently I think and I know as people will start to explore body positivity all of a sudden they start seeing people who are more representative of themselves has that happened for you or are you know Asian women still largely vacant from the media that you're seeing? Oh, wow. I think there's a lot of layers to that question because there's a lot of Asian women who are seen in in more body positivity, but there's only like a certain amount of um, Asian, uh, a certain community of Asian women who get represented in main media because being Asian is so complex. It's a ginormous, it's a huge continent. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, that's one thing we mix up and we say Asian and it's like a third of the world's population spread across (laughs) this enormous with with 
vastly different looks. Absolutely. Know? And so it's a lot of times it's East Asian women, you know, um, women from Korea and Japan and China and Taiwan. And um, but there's like the rest of the Asian continent. Uh, my parents are from Burma. And so that's more of the su- Southern continent. And there's just a wide spect- spectrum of how they look. Um, just the, it was just a huge, especially there was a lot of political push and pull of how like populations have moved around in Asia, especially during times of war. And so um, what it looks like to be Burmese is so complex because there's like different parts of Burma where, oh, in the southern it's a southern part of the country, they're a bit darker, but then more northern and more uh, highland areas, they're a lot more fair skinned. They look a little bit more like, I guess, like they look more East Asian, but they're they're not. They're native to, they're indigenous to the land in um, northern part of Burma. And I don't think a lot of people realize that like, even in a small country, it can be very, it varies on how, how people look and what is considered beautiful. Well, and with that, is there the colorism standard that we see with African-Americans? Does it translate into Burma in the same way? Don't know if it translates into Burma specifically, but there are certain, um, just in, Asia, in the Asian community, it definitely translates as uh, the lighter skin you are, the lighter your skin is, the more pretty you, the prettier you're seen or the longer hair that you have, um, the lighter hair that you have. There's like a ton, there's a huge market in, especially in the South Korean countries, um, and to gear the look um, of Asian women to look more Western, Um, like the narrow face, like the smaller nose, the blonder hair, like long flowing hair and paler skin, like to have that color, like people don't want to get dark. And so it's kind of scary to see sort of like the ideology spread into a different continent and a different place completely because especially because there's just such a diversity that that just naturally occurs in in a specific in a given place. Yeah, we had um Diana Hong on the show um a while back and she was talking about in Korea the most popular surgery is now the eyelid uh, surgery so people look more western and you know it spread what came out of you know beauty standards in new york is now spread that far that it's you know affecting people around the world and what they want to look like yeah especially yeah especially in eastern east asian countries as they become more developed they want to look more western and there's that seen as like a higher that's seen as more valuable or like given at like a higher beauty standard of like trying to look look like you haven't been in the sun when so when you look to see you know we all fight this internal comparison and you know you bring up who you compare yourself to so who do you compare yourself to when you look to beautiful women and and you know beauty what's the standard that you're looking at now oh gosh I guess like my what is considered beautiful is more of somebody's energy and aura that they give off like it's less about physical look and it's more about the vibe that they give off like it's like oh you are a really you know who you are you're self-aware you're a fucking a beautiful person <laughs> like <laughs> yeah um there isn't like a phys- i wouldn't say there's like a physical metric that i would use to consider what somebody who is considered beautiful or um yeah. So in slam poetry, there's a number of, of poets now, especially, you know, those who are competing at the national level who write about the body and beauty. And I know what my experience is sitting in a slam competition and you would now hear like seven poems about how, you know, oppressive these beauty standards are and stuff. What's it like for you as one of the competitors to sit there and hear other people talk about through poetry, how they feel about their bodies? What, how does that impact you at the end of the, the competition? 
Uh, I think there's a certain level of connectedness that I have with other poets who speak about body image, but there's still like a, a difference or a uniqueness in terms of like presentation. What specifically are they talking about in terms of their body? And uh, the relationship is still uh, antagonistic, but it can also be, uh, but it's also still very different in their own, in their own eyes. Cause in the experiential level, it's just so unique. You can't say that, oh, compared to this person and that person's poem, my, my poem versus that person's poem. Um, it's very much the same. The message is very much the same, but in terms of n small nuances and how things are presented and, and the language that is used, it's very, it is different and unique. Um, and they're still my competitors at the same time. <laughs> as much as I feel connected to them, they're still... All right, you still want to beat them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I am on the SAC Unified Slam team um, as one of the alternates to go to nationals. I wasn't able to go this year just for personal reasons. But just being on the Slam team is such a unique experience because it gives me like an outlet to foster my art and express myself in a way that I haven't been able to. It's sort of like, oh, I would watch button poetry <laughs> online on YouTube and and get inspiration from there. But it's different when you have a community who wants to foster that, foster those skills and those talents that you have and kind of guide you and, um, and have that like one-on-one -on -one mentorship or a community of mentors. And have you seen the way you write and what you write about change as you've worked with them? I think it has de definitely developed more since I've started working with them versus before it was just very freelance, like write whatever I feel. And I, I get very ADD when I write, so <laughs> I'll write. So then I'll write about body, and then somehow talk about the earth, and somehow talk <laughs> about the sky and the birds. And I'm like, okay, this kind of went in a different <laughs> in a different direction. Let me take these things out. And I think for me, it's less editing than it used to be. I used to edit, I used to write free write, and then take out pieces, and then like I might need that here, I might need that there, and whatnot. But I have to do that a lot less now that I've been part of the Saxland team. That's cool. Now, in terms of representation in poetry, do you feel there's getting more balance in terms of Asian women speaking up? Because it's for a long time, it was associated specifically mostly with black men coming out of New York and some of these these other spots. Do you run into a lot of other Asian women competitors when you're out there? And I haven't personally, but I do know that there is more um, there is more representation rep, uh Asian American poets who have told their story and who have had similar experiences I have or who I when I read or when I hear their work I'm like yes I understand that I get where you're from <laughs> like more please <laughs> where would you like to see the entire um slam universe go because they're in the, this point of reconfiguring how they do things and it's like this year period of where they're restructuring everything where would you like to see it go that's a hard question. <laughs> um, yeah, because poetry kind of evolves in its own way, and with its with all of the poets that come that that come and perform, that it's hard to say like, well, how the structure I want to see it. I think that there the scoring structures can be a little bit difficult because there are some times where I perform a piece that I feel like very strongly about, and I love the performance that I did on it, and I just the scoring is obviously it's still a competition, so. It, it's hard to know how to restructure that exactly. But if it's kind of the vulnerability of poetry in itself is really hard to like judge on, you know, in a numbered metric. Now that you've come to this point where you started to accept your body and you can feel beautiful at times and stuff, what messaging do you think needs to go out to younger girls now that you didn't have growing up? 
I think the deconstructing that binary of what what it means to be feminine and what it means to be and like what it means to be a tomboy or like the that male and female dynamic that I'm seeing I'm seeing less binary happening where it's like definitive like blues goes with boys and pinks is with girls I think it's more accepting who you are and um I I would love to see like more tolerance in the older generation of like kids have this sense of who they are and let them grow into that and let them grow into their potential rather than telling them what to do, telling them how they're supposed to feel, how they're supposed to look, let them choose in their own way to express themselves because in terms of representation and how they want to identify and how they want to present themselves can be a for, can be an outlet and it can presenting themselves in a most comfortable way that is confident and just accepting, accepting who they are. And it, it's a constant battle and it's a process that you continue to learn even in adulthood and, <laughs> and even as you get older and older. <laughs> and older. And older. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming on the show. If people want to find you, if they want to find you reading poetry, if they want to support you, where do they go? I am on, usually you can find me on Open Mic on Wednesdays. The, there's the Speak Out Sacramento and then on Thursdays, Luna's Cafe. And on fr- every third Friday, uh, you'll see me at Luna's Cafe slamming with other slam poets <laughs> around Sacramento. <laughs> and that's always on the Fat Chicks calendar because yeah. Sharon's the DJ. Yeah. So we can always <laughs> find you there. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. It was great to see you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Are you enjoying the show? Well, if you are, why don't you come join us live at Stab Comedy Theater. The cross streets are 18th and Broadway. We're going to have a show every third Saturday of the month. The first show is February 16th. So why don't you come down and have cookies and buy merch with us? Thank you. Chicks on Top presentation with your co-hosts, Auntie Vice and Wendy Lewis. Sound provided by Sharon Smith of A Serious Production. All things Fat Chicks can be found on our website at fatchicksontop.com. That's fatchicksontop.com. Or check out our social media for more information. That's Fat Girls on Top on Twitter and Fat Chicks on Top on Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. Please review our previous episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or all podcast streaming services. Please support the Fat Chicks by buying us a tea or purchasing our merch on our website. And thank you for your support.